Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, this is not just a podcast or radio show, Jew in the City Speaks. This is actually a piece of a larger organization, a nonprofit called Jew in the City. Our mission is to reverse negative associations about religious Jews. We do this by putting forth an approach based on kindness, tolerance, sincerity, and critical thinking. And we make engaging and meaningful Orthodox Judaism known and accessible. Um, we show examples of Orthodox Jews doing things right, of Orthodox Jews doing kindness, doing honest things, doing interesting things. Most of the stories that we hear in the media are Orthodox Jews doing things wrong. Um, we need to confront the shortcomings in our community and make those things better because that in and of itself is a Kiddush Hashem. Um, but we're here to um, highlight all the things that go right. Um, now, part of highlighting all the things that go right as I said before, is confronting and sort of recognizing the things that go wrong. And we spend a lot of time in this organization tracking newspaper headlines um, because the newspapers are, you know, uh, on some way, uh, for sure, the media has a bias against the community. And um, I know this firsthand because I grew up with the same bias. I grew up with negativity around Orthodox Jews and I sort of lumped everybody together and I saw everybody for the worse. Um, at the same time, when we do bad things, we give the media content to write about. Now, obviously, we can't become a perfect people. Um, we still are human beings. Um, I think the challenge and what we sort of pick up on here as an organization is what is systematic? What problems do we have that... It's not just someone's foibles. It's not just someone um, having a moment of dishonesty or a moment of losing their temper because they're a flawed human being. But what are the challenges within our system? Some parts of our system are um, sort of locked. There are certain things when it comes to uh, women's issues where you know we we cannot. Um, be exactly like the larger world. If the larger world says men and women should be treated exactly the same, um, we we disagree. Um, sometimes maybe we feel challenged by that, but um, we do have a limit within halacha. Then there are other things where maybe there is more flexibility than um, than the community is um, sort of adapting to or is uh, you know changing with. Uh, one area that sort of um, you know kind of encapsulates this whole conversation that I'm having with myself right now is the area of Agunas. Um, I haven't heard so much about it in the news, I have to say, like in the last year or so, but a few years ago, there were just so many um, Agunas stories um, in the New York Post, in GQ, in the Daily News. Um, there were stories of um, a rabbi being arrested for torturing recalcitrant husbands. He was called the prod, uh, the Oh, the prod father instead of the godfather because he used cattle prods. Um, there were some really um, acrimonious divorces that were um, being publicized in uh, the, you know, the New York Post. Um, and we did a man on the street uh, video a few years ago and asked people what they knew about Orthodox Jews, just random New Yorkers. And a whole bunch of them said that we know that you have problems with your divorce you know, situation, which was pretty yucky. Um, and the truth is that um, the way to get divorced within Torah law um, gives the woman a disadvantage. That is the reality. Do Risa, um, men have an advantage over women. They're not supposed to abuse them with them. They're not supposed to um, use it as a, as a weapon. Um, but Within the Torah itself, there is um, the man has an upper hand. 
Um, now, there have been different responses throughout time about how to deal with this. Um, back in the olden days, there was uh, the way of, you know, beating up recalcitrant husbands. That doesn't seem to work so well in modern times. Um, and then there um, was a couple other responses. There was the prenup um, that came out of the RCA, uh, the BDA prenup, uh, about 30 years ago. Um, and there's a yeshivish rabbi um, in uh, named Rabbi Pear, who has uh, a tshuva that he wrote to Rav Moshe also around 30 years ago. Um, and now there is a new solution that has come out now. Um, and we are speaking to the uh, co-founders of an organization called Yashar Coalition. Um, they are Martin Friedlander, a matrimonial attorney, and Ellie Goldbaum, um, a businessman, um, who are now trying to find another um, sort of another uh, solution to add into the mix to try to alleviate uh, the challenge around uh, difficult divorce situations in the Orthodox world. Uh, Martin and Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. So I just gave a long intro. So um, I guess like just start us off here. Um, what motivated you to get into the Aguna crisis? Why and when and how did you decide that you wanted to be involved in this um, conversation and hopefully solution? Well, I've been involved throughout my work career uh, as part of my interaction with uh, divorce cases throughout. But about five, six years ago, I was approached by an Orthodox law professor and asked me, it's time for us to do a premarital agreement for a broader range of the community that hasn't been accepting it today. And I informed them that I'm willing to put in all the work but we have to get a broad range of endorsements so that it was something that will be used, not by a small section. And then a little while later, I was in uh, family court and uh, I had a case where the parties were negotiating to go to a basket. And I informed the court that um, we need about a week or so, I'm working on an arbitration agreement and we should have the whole case transferred to the Bethin and therefore we wouldn't need the court's intervention. And the judge you know, readily uh, granted the time as they're overloaded. And when the law secretary walked me out, the tongue in cheek said, are you sending the people to the cattle prod basket? And when I realized that that was the perception that was being from behind the court, as well as all the cases that Besides the Aguna, all the religious observance cases with the custody battles that are going on where judges are now being called on to decide what Shabbos is and what Pashas is and what Yeshiva, time has come to, to try to make a comprehensive agreement where there would be a healthy environment for conflict resolution in our community. And how long ago did this start? When, when did you really start to like, you know, put uh, pen to paper? Probably over four years. This document has been drafted over four years. We had a lot of input with the rabbis who will speak later about who have, who have halakhically endorsed this. Uh, many of them have written the entire paragraphs after what we did is we tried to sit down and figure out the problems that people were encountering and what the solutions were. And after we put that down, we, the Rabbanim were, had enormous input as to the exact language that is in the draft that we have right now. Can I throw in a few words? This is Ellie, how are you? 
Thank you. Good. How are you? Okay. Good. So I'm just going to throw my perspective. My perspective came from a different. I actually met Martin as an attorney handling a family divorce, and it's not about my family, so we'll keep that off the table. Um, but after the divorce that we went through, I said there's got to be a better way to handle uh, the average case, and I, okay. I I think that um, that's what got me motivated, and I'm very passionate about it. I talk very often about the pain of divorce and what coming from my perspective, living through a divorce, I think that people have to understand that the pain of divorce and the collateral damage of divorce is something that has to stop. And that pain and that collateral damage is something that there's no dollar value that I could put on. And anyone who's been through a divorce will understand that. Unfortunately, divorce is something that more and more of our families are dealing with in our community. I think that every extended family it wouldn't be something to, to just throw out, but I really believe every extended family within a few years will have a divorce in the family, and there has to be some uh, healthy way to deal with it. We are also very much of the opinion if there's a healthy way to deal with it, and I've spoken to numerous rabbinim and professionals about this opinion, we believe we will actually save marriages because most of the marriages today, people in the community, I call them the yayatsim, the people that give advice, uh, they come out and they tell people, start putting in uh, the husband is an abuser, the husband is a molester, they put in restraining orders. And then after that, they want to know why they're having a problem getting a get, they want to know why they're having a problem um, you know, uh, talking shalom bias. Well, after you do these type of things, it's very difficult to talk shalom bias. So if there would be a, a healthy way to, to deal with the conflict, from the beginning, we believe we're going to actually save marriages. But putting that aside, I, I just wanted, I heard your opening, and I wanted to say that we worked very hard on what we call a gender neutral agreement. I think that the Aguna issue is something I take very, very sensitively. I understand it, and I deal with a lot of cases, so I certainly get it. Uh, and I'm not minimizing that, but I will tell you that one of the big problems in society today is the alienation issues. Uh, the men are suffering terribly as well, where the women utilize the children in the battle and they alienate the children against the other parent or whatever the case may be. So um, we have come up with a, a solution that we're trying to work with that will handle not only the get issue, and let's face it, unfortunately, there's no agreement in the world that will stop the total nut that will hold back again and go to jail in Israel because that's what they will do. So th th that is the exception, not the rule. And mm -hmm. For the average person, this agreement is a phenomenal agreement. And I think just to throw in another thing, we worked, as Martin said, with Rabonim, with mental health professionals, a part of the team. And if you go onto our website, you can see the team. There were other people as well. Uh, we have uh, you know, mental health professionals, Rabonim, uh, attorneys, um, that, and, and business people who actually worked on this agreement to make it as strong as possible. Now, Alison, I just wanted to add, you know, when we talked to we all our meetings were with a group of orthodox mental health professionals to get their input. In fact, we have a shalom bias protocols that we suggest for the Batidinim, but we also had a study. We had a study done by Dr. Pelkowitz under our auspices with the Einstein School of Medicine, where to show what the effects were, we had children that were in the house while a divorce and a get was being withheld and the effects on the children, as well as the effects on adult children that had that during their childhood. Wow. 
and we use that to explain how important these issues are and what the effect on the family and on the children, not the parties themselves, but actually the children in explaining the importance of this document. So let's try to get now into um, kind of the nitty gritty. Um, can you tell us what are the problems you're trying to solve and how this premarital agreement uh, solves them? Okay, so I'll start with a few. Uh, the first one is that it has to be an established Besdin. Uh, we have a, a, a process called Zablo where each party picks one and then the two, Dayanam pick the third. That is not allowed under our agreement. So at the initial state when this is uh, being signed, and again, this is not, we make it very clear that this is not to be signed at the chuppah or at the wedding. It's to be signed prior to the marriage so that each side reads it and understands it. And therefore they have an honest discussion on a Bezdin, on a sitting Bezdin that's established uh, to be the forum. Mm -hmm. they, we have one of the things the Rabbanim were very adamant is we have protocols for professional conduct before the Bezdin that all you know, representatives have to sign while they're going there. Mm -hmm. uh, Shalom bias is something that the, the Bezdin will determine as opposed to using it as a ploy or a delay tactic, but to really address that issue. What do you and mean by shalom bias? Can you explain that more? Well, there's when somebody goes for a divorce, under halacha, you can say, I don't want the divorce, the other party. I want to try to rehabilitate this family. I want to bring back the peace to the family. And that's a legitimate halakhic claim. Um, but it has to be used properly, and it can't be used after the party separated for five years and have nothing to do with each other. And one of the reasons, one of the points that we put in this agreement was that any party can, ask, if they sign an agreement, can ask for a sitting of the Besden, which must happen within two weeks of the request, besides if there is Yantif or any other uh, factors. And the reason that we put that in is because if there's a problem brewing, and some and the Besden sits down in two or three weeks from being requested. The ability to be able to help this family and keep them together, the probability is probably a hundredfold more than when they're spending six to months to a year trying to put together the forum that they're sitting in. So let's say um, one side says, I'd like a divorce. The other side says, um, I'd like to uh, salvage this marriage. And the first side says, oh, he's abusing me. Um, I don't want to salvage anything. I want to get away from this abuser. How is that handled? So the best in then, we, we've had protocols, which we're suggesting with the assistance of the mental health professionals as to domestic violence and how that has to be viewed. But that will be reviewed by the best in who then has the power to refer them to a mental health professional to see if there's any validity or any possibility of a reconciliation. Okay, fine. So at that point, when someone says there's abuse occurring, the mental health professional will come in and make sure that the claims are valid. And that, now what if someone just says, I don't wanna be married anymore. I'm sick of this person, not abuse. I'm saying is a person this is sort of an interesting thing. I've never like looked into this before, but can right. a person just decide that they want to be done with the marriage or that's a little so, more complicated so, with halacha? Right, that's, that's a halachic question. In other words, we don't have under halacha a no-fault divorce like we have mm -hmm. in the secular. And therefore, mm -hmm. that's why we put that in. And I think that's why 
we stress the two week first session where those things can be addressed and, and possibly uh, you know helped before it got to the point where nobody can sit in the room with each other anymore. I think it's also it. important to understand that we've felt that I've spoken to a number of, but they didn't say this point. And if you have somebody who who's at a bezin who wants to say that they you know they want out or whatever the case is, why is the bezin taking on their their own responsibility to make these determinations? They're not professionals. They don't understand the the intricacies of whatever the particular health issue, health mental health issues are, are being dealt with. Let them go to a professional, refer it out to a professional, and let them take the responsibility of whatever allegations there may be. And so the professional, the mental health professional will make the recommendation to the Bezdin about sort of the state of where each of the, the husband and wife are. Is that the idea? Right. Okay, yes. fine. So we name the Bezdin. And I've heard this before, people that are dealing with um, Aguna issues that just even agreeing to the venue um, is what 90 to 95% of the cases are being fought over. So that obviously alleviates a lot of the um, acrimony. Um, part two is um, to deal with Shalom Bias. He was a mental health professional to understand the dynamics there. Um, number three, what other problem is occurring that well, you're trying to solve? The other issue was that in addition, the two-week um, appearance is also so that the Besden can deal with the economics. Uh, you know, if there's an emergency application, if there's somebody the payments of yeshiva, the household expenses are not because somebody's using that as leverage in, in a case, that that's done immediately as well. Now, just so we're clear, like this is a, a arbitration. So it depends really where you're living. For instance, New York, in money matters, the arbitration is solid. In regard to custody matters in New York state, they can mediate. But in New Jersey, they can arbitrate custody. And we've provided for that in a separate rider that those people who reside in New Jersey can actually submit an entire case on these premarital agreement, including custody for the Besden to make a decision. So the Besden, so first you have, um, so the, the venue, you have the, um, the Shalom bias issue, and then the Besden is handling custody as well. Now, this is an area where I've heard men complain that family court favors women, um, but I've heard women say that, well, they have the upper hand on the get, so this is my leverage. And so the idea is that nobody should have any upper hand. Everybody should have an equal playing field. Is that the idea? Yes. And, uh, you know, the presumption is that and they will be using, you know, if there's an issue, they will be using mental health professionals as the court. We also put in a protocols of kosher home and Shabbos observance in custody matters, which mm -hmm. this is a phenomenon that's going on. A lot of cases have been in the newspapers. Um, there are many, many cases today in which a couple, you know, in midlife, one of them decides not to be observant anymore. And then you mm -hmm. have children who are in a certain type of yeshiva, certain type of lifestyle, who now are being shown two various lifestyles uh, that's conflicting. And mm -hmm. what we do is we put in the observers, and these are things that the people can modify to their own standards, but that they agree in the beginning 
uh, how the family will be raised and what observance in regard to the raising of the children. So they get to decide, um, meaning let's say a couple gets married and they are Hasidic, but then they write in their um, premarital agreement that we will let either of us uh, become yeshivish, but no more modern than that. I'm saying, is that the sort of thing yeah, that they you would? Could, you could do that. We, we are either the initial one is very, you know, basic in the regard to Shabbos, Kashrus, what that means, who's the defining authority on it mm. under the Orthodox uh, standards. But somebody could go and modify it to be Hasidish or say that this is the standards. Obviously, if we do more during the marriage, that doesn't uh, negate what we've signed. Actually, to just uh, find it for a second, we also uh, are working with several of the Hasidish communities. So you know, just to use this specific, uh, not to say that they're interested, but just say sophomore as an example, or, or Bells or Gare, whoever it is, may have a, a protocol that works for them. So we're actually working with one of the Cedars communities that has um, a certain amount of uh, help that they assist young couples and whatnot, and they would like to utilize that group to help in these areas as well, and ultimately go to uh, their Bate Din and how they would work within the Bate Din, but their protocol for the for the uh, uh, Shabbat, so the Kashras and, and, and the schooling and whatnot would probably allude to, and don't forget that at the time of the marriage, everyone is on the same page. So when everyone's in love and on the same page, they will both agree, for instance, that we're going to go to you know, our type of a, a yeshiva, and that's the way we would like our marriage to start, that this is the, our thought is that our children will uh, be brought up with this standard. And of course, we never think we're the one who's going to go off. It's always the other one who's going to go off. So it's in my interest to protect that. And then years later, if and when something changes, that we really agreed prior to the marriage that the children will be brought up uh, with the with the Hasidish background that we uh, that, that we agreed to at the time of the marriage, and that is that is acceptable by the court. You know, we're dealing with in our organization people that. Um are having changes religiously right. over time. So um, we're obviously seeing, you know, some of the most challenging cases that are out there. So let's say someone does do this agreement when they get married and then five years, eight years later, they say, um, I was actually abused. I was repressing memories. I didn't realize sort of how negatively or triggered I felt by um, I think even for some of our people that um, we're helping them try to find a way to remain religious, sometimes the symbols of the community they came from, they find triggering. So they can handle Shabbos or Kashrus or things like that. But some of the, just even the outer symbolism of the way people dress or the way they talk, some people in our organization have to change the word from Hashem to God or Shabbos to Shabbat just to sort of make a new association. Let's say somebody wakes up and says, that wasn't me when I signed it. I feel differently now. Um, what, what happens, um, if they choose to live a different kind of life, do they lose access to their children? Um, do they just have to have a certain type of home when the children visit, like sort of walk me through what happens if the person makes their own religious change? I think that's a great question. And it's actually what we're trying to, to take to, into account. The reality is that today the children are the ones who suffer because of the parents change. Or, or whatever you want to say, they may have been abused. And again, I'm very sensitive to understand the, the, the change in people, and I'm not here to bash that. But at the end of the day, at the time of the marriage, you know, let's just use the husband as the one who goes off for argument's sake. The wife 
married this guy thinking everything is wonderful and she's suffering through enough and the children are suffering through enough with the change that the husband in your scenario who may have been abused as a child and the triggers, etc., cetera, um, they're in enough turmoil. So what we're trying to do is keep those children as healthy as possible under the new standards. And we're not telling the father in this scenario that he can't go about his business the way he would like. But what we are saying is that if you did agree at the point of the marriage to bring him up, in this case, Chassidish, and you've changed your way. So therefore, around the children to minimize the confusion of the children, mm-hmm. that the children could have a healthy life because ultimately that's what a father should want and, and certainly needs to get the help that, the help that he needs uh, to deal with the abuse that he lived with. And I'm pretty familiar with a lot of that as well. Um, but at the end of the day, the children can't suffer on account of something like that. And we've just, we have a protocol basically he's gonna say to them, when they when he is around the children he can't confuse the children and say to them oh don't keep shabbos mm-hmm. or you know kashras or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. i think what we do is we define it you were talking about symbolism the kashras is defined about which symbols are acceptable shabbos talks about not driving not you know not keeping your eyes uh things like that so it's more a definition of what it is as opposed to doesn't say that you're going to have to go to according to you know hypothetically the sotmer way it says okay. what kashras is what shabbos is you know i had two cases where you know the judge asked very uh astutely he said i want to see a picture of your wedding and because one was hasidish and the other one was was not observant at all and, uh, you know, what he said was, you didn't look like that at the wedding and you didn't look like that. So you had a presumption. I had a case where, you know, one of the parents were not religious and whenever there was a fight in the house, would bring an iPad to the Shabbos table in front of the children just to irritate. So again, you know, obviously there's other factors and, you know, best interest of the children are always uh, the preeminent, whether in Bezdin or, but a contract saying how the children are going to be raised or what you're going to do in front of the children, I think is something that can, and again, it's signed before the wedding. People have time to think about it and discuss it. All right. So we have uh, two minutes and then we're done here. Just let our listeners know, tell us some Rabbanim that have signed on and let them know where they can get more information to learn more. Well, Excellent. So the, we worked on uh, the agreement initially of Shlomo Miller. We were told that he is a preeminent Paisic in the Lutvisha world. Up in Tor- He's in Toronto, but he's a uh, Paisic of Lakewood as well. He spent an enormous amount of time with us working through the actual agreement. And his Ascomet is on the website. Our website is yasharcoalition.org, Y-A-S-H-A-R, coalition, C-O-A-L, uh, ition.org and you have the Ascoma, the actual agreement as well is on the website and it's free to use. And uh, if anyone needs any help, there's certainly there's a number that you can call us. We're more than happy to help you through the agreement as well as uh, any questions that you may have on the agreement. After Roshan Miller, we do, we went to Rahul David who does not sign Ascoma as easily at all. Uh, has He's in Flappish also, one of the ex- accepted placekin of our generation and he, not only signed a beautiful askama, but he's very, very involved with the ongoings of what we're doing in the day to day to get this, to get the word out to the community. 
We then went to Forshan and Lakewood, who also wrote a beautiful Askama, who also went through the agreement and understands the need for it. And finally, we went to uh, Maisha Sternbrook and Eric Yisrael, who everyone said will never get Askama, and he as well has given Askama to the words of the agreement, he worked through with it, and uh, as an English-speaking uh, person, he was able to read the agreement himself. Um, besides that, there are a number of other Rabbanim and Paiskim Rashashivas who have given uh, verbal askamas, and some of them are in the process of writing askamas. But at this point, as a, as a number of very big Bate Din have told us, it is no longer a question of halachically acceptable. It is halachically acceptable, it is universally acceptable. And now it's a matter of getting the word out to people uh, that this is something that there's really no downside to it. And it's something that is very important and should be used. Uh, certainly with anyone who went through any kind of challenge with divorce, but it's it's something I call marriage insurance. It's something you buy life insurance or home insurance, you buy marriage insurance, and it's something that, believe me, I've gone through it and I understand the pain. This would minimize a tremendous amount of pain, time, uh, and aggravation, and like I said, it, it will onset. I really believe this will also save a lot of marriages. Thank you so much. I'm sorry we are out of time, but um, that's really incredible work that you have been working on, and um, we wish you much hatzlacha. Uh, when thank you. Okay, thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great okay, day. and thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.